everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Female Film Critics Speakout panel. This is something we do every month where I gather female content creators and critics and we talk about our experiences and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And I am film critic Rachel Wagner and uh, and Kate Kennedy's here. Hi. You want to Lankfield is here? Hi. Nice to see you all. Yes. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming on. This is going to be a really great discussion. I really appreciate it. And uh, like both of you to introduce yourself, why don't you start, uh, Kate, tell us how you became a, uh, a film critic and got involved. Um, completely and utterly by accident. Uh, before I uh, was ever officially writing film critiques, um, I'd been a professional writer for many years mainly doing lifestyle and marketing content. Um, but I've always loved the movies. I studied film in college. That was one of my academic focuses. And so very much by accident, I got involved with the Austin film scene. And uh, I started out with a super small little indie magazine. And when I was like, hey, I, I think I can do this. Um, I seized the opportunity to go freelance and have just been uh, going and blowing and writing ever since. That's great. And what about you, Joanna? How did you get started? Well, it was a while ago. Um, <laughs> I was actually starting out to be an actor. And it's interesting because that's kind of helped me in being on this side of things because I seem to have a little bit more uh, comfort with looking at what the actors are going through, what the production's going through, that kind of but when I got out of school, I realized that that was just not a life that I was prepared to leave. So I got into broadcasting. <laughs> I thought that would be better. Um, and I was producing for other people. And then I just kind of fell into a situation where I could start reviewing theater in New York City. This doesn't happen, by the way. You just don't start in New York City. But somehow I managed to talk people into letting me do that. So I was doing theater and then I got involved in doing film and I really haven't looked back. I've been working for a lot of people. I was at ABC for a long time, CNN, all sorts of places. And when syndication started over there and we've been going ever since. That's great. Uh, yeah, so you, you actually started reviewing with theater then. That's interesting. That must give you an interesting perspective into movies like In the Heights and things like that. You know, it does. Um, and I'm still, you know, of course, I go to the theater and all that. But I also, uh, a lot of us, people of my generation, uh, we all came up together. And when we start talking about some of these movie stars, I saw them off Broadway, a little, you know, basement theater someplace. And, all, and they came on my show to promote it. And, you know, we can kind of go back and talk about those things. And it was one thing that I'm sure you, you both feel the same way when you start to interview someone and you would watch like a Larry King or Barbara Walters or whatever back in the day and the celebrities would walk in, be raring to go. They didn't take time to warm up. They didn't need all this sort of getting to know you stuff, which ate into the time that you were allowed to actually talk to them about what you wanted to talk to them. Mm -hmm. So because we have that understanding, I can kind of go there and it taps into some interesting stuff and we can kind of get to the heart of the matter a little bit more quickly. Yeah, especially the junket, I think that that's nice when you can uh, 
you know, just dive right into the topics that you have. I haven't done a ton of them. I mean, just virtually in the last year, but most of my interviews are more long format for the podcast, but it's kind of interesting because people think it's super exciting to interview like a big, I mean, none of my people have been that big, but someone like Danica McKellar, you know, it's like a big name in the world of Hallmark. Uh, but her interview was like 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I had like three questions I could ask and, and I'd get them pre-approved and, you know, you're just boom, boom, boom in and out. Whereas like interviewing somebody that's maybe working in uh, as a writer or a smaller role or something like that, like I can sit down with them for 45 minutes and really find out about what they do. And so it's, it's oddly enough, if you were to ask me what like my favorite interviews were, where I haven't really had a bad interview, um, but my favorites are some of the more smaller people uh, as far as like, as far as name recognition. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, I think that's kind of an interesting thing that people might not expect. You think like the big, the big junkets or the big name talent is super exciting. And I guess it is in a way, but if I had to pick, I'd rather do the, the longer interviews, more, uh, more obscure people that are just really interesting to find out about. Sorry. Don't you think, Caitlin, you learn from talking to people who are working on the productions. They're sometimes more involved than the actors are. Right? Yeah, especially the writers. And what were you going to say, Kate? Oh, I just, I would agree 100%. I, I do not do a lot of interviewing. That is very much by design. Um, but I really jump at the opportunity every now and then to, honestly, I want to be a little bit in love with my subject. Um, you know, either in terms of really relating to what it is they're working on or just being very excited about what they're putting out. One of my favorite, and again, there's very few of them, interviews that I've done was with um, the director of the In Search of Darkness documentaries on Shudder, uh, David Weiner. He does these massive love letters to 80s slashers and he's moving into science fiction. And he actually requested me for the review or uh, for the interview based on my review. And that was the most fun because we were both madly in love with the mutual subject matter of just eighties horror. And so, yeah, I had some questions, but so much of it was just geeking out there at the end. And I think that finding that common ground in love is just, I love it. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, the very first interview we ever did was with a writer named Nina Wyman and she, this is on Homeworkies podcast and she, she's come on our show now six times uh, and over the years. And uh, the, I think we connected immediately just over, uh, you know, just books we liked and uh, movies that we liked and just, we had a similar sense of humor and, uh, and I, it, it's it's just makes for a really engaging interview even like little things like uh that one of my favorite ones that we ever did uh was with an actress named donna benedicto who is an actress up in canada does these hallmark movies but we spent probably 30 minutes of the interview just talking about uh, catering and craft services and her all her <laughs> just laughing she was so funny so great and uh and so it, that was definitely one of my favorites and uh it's it's just when you can, can kind of connect on that level and just uh and there's some people that are just natural storytellers uh you ask them one question and they will have a great story and other people i have to work hard to get the story out 
But uh, one of my favorites was uh, uh, <laughs> Jill Wagner. She uh, she's an actress and she was that kind of person that you just say one thing and she will tell the funniest story that has to do with whatever you're talking about. And, uh, and I, I think that, you know, that's something that's just like a natural gift. That's, that makes you so engaging to talk to. Well, it's funny because there's such a wide spectrum of those involved in the entertainment industry, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, there's the journalists on on our end that kind of have a third person interaction with the art, and then there's the performers and all of the vast spectrum of crew and creatives that go into making a movie a movie, all the way up to screenwriters and directors. And it's a really mixed bag of individuals that kind of come together on a single project. Sure. But that love for the project, or just the love for film, is at the center. And Honestly, like that's why I love stuff like this, because, you know, we're all going to be coming from different walks of life, backgrounds, you know, all of those things. But just like a, a massive love for film brings us right here. It's just cool. It's, it's very cool to connect that way. Two of you are talking about connecting with the people that you are interviewing, which is the most important thing you can do. Because when you connect with people, I've been lucky just because I was in a kind of news environment where I would be talking to some people who were kind of in the news, and, you know, because actors and people like that they make headlines too. And uh, as we know, and, you know, sometimes people would walk in the studio and they would say to me, you can't talk about whatever. But it was on the front page of the paper. How yeah, do you not, not going to talk about it? Right. So if you get these people, as you say, to feel comfortable, to meet you halfway, to relax. I have found over the years, they will tell you everything. And it's not a trick. They want to talk about things. They want to feel that they can do it with someone who will allow them to really talk, get their side or their view or whatever it is out. And there you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kate, have you always had an interest in horror, or has that been something more recently that you've and you've uh, gotten become a fan of? Golly, so I had two very formative film experiences in my youth, and the first was just that I grew up on John Wayne westerns with my dad. This painting behind me is an original Olaf Weak horse who traded his artwork um, for the film El Dorado in exchange for a small role in the film. Um, so big connection to John Wayne Westerns. And then the other was when I had my first slumber party and my mother trying to be a good mother rented Rosemary's baby for the group of 10 year olds. <laughs> and I always, and I've gone back and it's like, did we receive any complaints about the satanic sleepover? <laughs> and apparently, uh, no. So, and of course I fell in love. I, I loved that film. So yeah, I've always been a big fan of horror and part of my academic focus was also in gender studies and so that's when I started really diving into the final girls because one of the most pure examples of gender discussion often takes place in the horror genre. Horror is very closely connected to where the culture is at the time. Uh, final girls and other famous female characters of horror often anchor those ideas so uh, yeah the, to answer your question Sorry, hold on, I got had a dry mouth. To answer your question. 
uh, yeah, lifelong love, and I really love to dig into it. So that makes it the most fun to write about. Do you feel like the horror community has been accepting of you as a female critic when you've had either controversial opinions or just opinions in general? Do you feel like it's been a an accepting space for the most part? I've had a I've had an overwhelmingly positive experience. Um, I'm very rarely intimidated or impressed by anyone. So if I was receiving any kind of backlash, honestly, I might not notice. <laughs> yeah. Um, never to the point that it's impacted me, but overall, a very welcoming space. That's good. That's great. So, Joanna, uh, how did you come up with the movie minute uh, idea? And I know, is your goal to have like four paragraphs? Is that your goal as far as uh, your reviews? Well, I have a multimedia situation though. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I went from a four hour long live talk show to the movie minute. And I got to tell you, it's easier to do the four hour long <laughs> talk show because you can sort of blab on and, you know, you can keep the calls coming or whatever. And you can fill up the time and it works. But when you have to condense everything into... Um, for the podcast and for the radio programs and all that kind of stuff. I do a combination of live radio stuff, TV still, and um, also for this podcast, which was timed to be a minute long. And once in a while I would go over I don't know how that happened, but it did. And <laughs> so then when we started to concentrate more on putting stuff online in terms of written pieces, I would take you know, the basic idea and write it for the movieminute.com, which I hope will come up with. Um, and then, you know, it goes with Rotten Tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. So because I already had this for, I don't want to tell you how many years, uh, the movie minute, which is trademarked and all that kind of stuff, I was kind of there and I could maybe have expanded on that a little bit, but the opportunity was just kind of ready made for me at that point. So I stuck with it and pretty much tried to um, make it a challenge for myself so that I could say what I wanted to say within the minute-long structure in terms of audio or TV, and then a, a shorter piece that's written. Mm, that's good. Yeah, it, it, I think it would be a challenge to keep everything so concise, especially me. I, I, tend, to, <laughs> I tend to go on a little bit. <laughs> I'm also a little verbose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it is, you know, Very and I good. find myself having to go back and take this out and come up with a better word that can say like three things at one time, as opposed to me just going on thinking I'm fabulous. You know? so. mm -hmm. Yeah. So one question I like to ask on this panel is, uh, why do you think it's important to have female film critics perspective? Or you know, do you feel like a review is a review? It doesn't matter the gender of the critic. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Kate? Oh boy. Um, yeah, well, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big one and I have a lot to say, but I'm also gonna try to self-edit because um, I, I don't know how much time we have. Um, so the long and short of it is, is that yes, I mean, at the end of the day, a review is a review and I completely empower people to look at reviews in those ways. I mean, I feel like so much of it goes down to how the individual reader response to reviews um, and what they're seeking out of them. So yeah, a review is a review. However, 
I think what is so important about female critics and what I think is so beneficial to the reading and viewing, listening public is that women, you know, we do occupy a different space. And I think it's just as important as racial perspective or regional perspective. I mean, I'm based in Texas. I'm not in one of the large New York or Los Angeles markets. Um, so the point of view I might be bringing to a particular film could be wildly different. I mean, we're all individuals. And so to me, the female experience is so broad and it speaks to so many readers and so many uh, members of our culture. We're half the population. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. so, so I do, I think that that perspective is important because it's so prevalent, but also I just think that the importance of individuals is very important. I mean, we're not all singularly defined by the fact that they're women, but that is a very important piece of our vast puzzle. Yeah, what do you think, Joanna? <laughs> no, that's good. Well, you know, I've been on this road a while. Um, and when I started, there were some really wonderful, seminal female who were writing criticism. And I was thrilled to be in the room with them, honestly. Uh, I was very young, and they were really nice to me. There weren't as many of us, period, as there are now. I mean, if you looked at the number of critics who filled up a room, I'm now I'm in New York, but um, now virtually everybody with a Twitter account, you know, thinks that they should, and maybe they should, be getting uh, a seat at a screening. Uh, so the whole thing has changed very, very much. Uh, I was always concerned about women, period, um, to the point that a number of years ago, I, along with two colleagues, formed um, what we called an alliance for female critics. And one of the things that I felt very strongly about was not just that they would have a place, you know, like a safe place to go and then to publish work that maybe they couldn't get published somewhere else, because most of the people who were going to be joining, we hoped, were freelance. Um, but I also wanted to eventually, if we could, pay for those posts and also become enough of a strong entity that we could offer some kind of group health insurance for people who were freelance and who couldn't get it elsewhere. Um, you know, we, we really tried to do that. I felt very strongly that when you looked around, most of the people who had full-time jobs doing this, because people did have full-time jobs doing this, um, and most of them were men. And most of the freelance people were not. Um, and because I started my own entity, um, I had to go through that trip myself of trying to get the health insurance and do all of that. So I was pretty familiar with how to go about it. Um, in terms of the female perspective, I'm not sure that we do bring always a different perspective, but thank God we can. Right. And, That's a good way to say it. And, and thank God that we don't have to. You know, it, it's really up to the individual person. I'm so glad that there's room now for all sorts of things. Um, mm. Certainly this week alone, um, I've been doing a lot of listening. And I have gone on my own little trip. Um, I, I don't want to date this program, but there was a lot of controversy over the release of In the Heights. And there was, uh, somebody's 
watching this five years from now, they may not know, but there, there was some controversy over who was in the film, who wasn't represented, all that. And so I think it's very important that everybody get to bring their perspective because sometimes my perspective is going to be different from yours and sometimes it isn't. And isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I, I personally have just taken that perspective of just listening. I haven't really said anything as far as the whole In the Heights thing, because I love the film. Uh, but as far as I feel like loving the film and representation is two totally different kind of conversations to have. I mean, there's, uh, there's some, you have to kind of think about it in different ways. But I, but I, I think that it's not really my place to say whether uh, in the Heights has correct representation. What you know, I it's not for me to decide that that conversation. It's for me to listen and to try to learn as much as I can uh, from different people. But uh, yeah, I think that that's the key: is that having enough voices out there uh, that uh, the, when something does come up, that you have those voices. Right? That it's not always going to be necessary to find out what a what a like you were talking about the uh the final final girls in horror like you don't need to have that discussion for every horror movie but it's nice to have it there from a female perspective when you do want to have that conversation uh, yeah and, and an example. Um, yeah. you know i think the in the heights the in the heights example is perfect because you know, just as the demographics of how we enter film criticism has changed, the uh, Twitter example that was provided earlier, mm -hmm. um, right now we're in a moment where a lot of journalism is synonymous with activism. It's an expectation of the reader. It's an expectation of your fellow critics to be mindful, if not directly confrontational, of, um, of social concerns and issues as they come up. And that's a very difficult spot to manage because uh, Rachel, I'm with you where that, um, I, I don't think I'm the authority <laughs> on the particular representation issue. Um, I could tell you what I think my, uh, my partner is Latino and he hasn't seen the film yet, but he does have um, opinions about the Latin community, but those are, uh, those are just by proxy, you know, they're, <laughs> right. um, they're not mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult because people want different things from their critics. And right now, I, and I hate to put it in these terms because it doesn't accurately speak to how I feel, but activism and criticism is very fashionable right now. And so there's more of a call to bring those perspectives, whether or not it's necessarily called for or appropriate given the individual critic, you know? Well, I also feel like if it's purely activism, I feel like those kinds of critics don't last long. Uh, that if they're, if they're just kind of, a, a, you know, a one topic critic or a one topic, they, they, you feel like they'll get kind of a flash in the pan, but but you look at somebody like all of us or like uh, like Joanna, who's been doing this for so long. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for, for quite a while uh, that they, I feel like they have, we have a legacy of kind of reviews that establish that uh, establish our point of view away mm -hmm. from maybe a particular uh, hot button 
uh, review that we might do. Uh, that's more of that kind of. And those have to be out there. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, those have to be yeah, out there. And also, you know, I found that I, I get nervous about um, being pigeonholed, essentially, um, yeah. because there will be some movies that I don't expect to appreciate as much as I do. Yeah, and then there'll be some that I think, oh, this, and I'm, oh my God, is it over yet? So you know, you have to go in fresh, and if a movie surprises you one way or the other, um, you have to go with that, and you have to respect that. And I hope that the people who depend on me for maybe a push in or a shove in one direction or the other in terms of what they see it um, will respect that too because it's about the work it's not about me it's it's not about my agenda it's about the work at least mm -hmm. for me and maybe that's why i've been able partly to hang in here as long as i have um because i didn't make it about me um it was about my guests it was about the work that was done it was you know whatever and i feel very strongly about that. And I do see this kind of, as, as you were saying, Kate, this, I think it's, you said it much more differently than I will, this venom, this vitriol that's going on is really not about putting the other guy down. It's about making the speaker feel superior. And I'd much rather just do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen. Yeah, you get a lot of that, uh, that in Twitter, especially. <laughs> Twitter is a whole separate planet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Joanna, how do you decide what it is you're going to cover uh, as far as the films? Because you do some mainstream, some smaller, some, how do you go about that? Um, well, back before all hell broke was 15 months ago, uh, I would pretty much try to cover the mainstream stuff and then force feed everybody some quieter, smaller things that I thought were really important that they know about uh, one way or the other. And uh, so I, you know, I would do that. And I also would try to prioritize because you know, at the, the awards uh, contenders and things that I just felt were important. Um, obviously, things have changed. And it's now a question of being able to see things uh, that people are interested in and having access and all of that. Um, I have actually been kind of proud of the fact that through my career, I've had my ears open. And I've tried to adapt or die, you know? <laughs> And so what I have been doing more of now is streaming stuff. And I'm getting tremendous response because I'm talking about that. And mm -hmm. even when I talk about movies that are available to be streamed, people say to me, oh, no, 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 I want to binge. Um, but Kate, you mentioned something before, and I don't want you to feel, I mean, that's not right because you said, well, I'm just texting. Okay, so there's a movie that just came out, which is about Texas history and about football and all that. And they sent it to me and I watched it and I thought, you know, 
This is not going to change the world, but this is a pretty solid, nice little movie, and you could watch it at home with the kids. And blah, blah, blah. So I did a thing. I'm getting such a good response. And it is a movie that opened very well in Texas, Kate, uh, last week, and is now going to be going wider. And, you know, so it really, I'm, I kind of go with what I can and what I'm interested in, and then, again, what I think people need to know about. Mm -hmm. Kate, what about you? What's your process for when you sit down, you're going to review a film? What do you, what do you do? Um, well, first, as a freelancer, I email every editor I know and say, please tell me one of your staffers isn't covering this because <laughs> I want to cover it. <laughs> so that is the first and most essential step of yes. me reviewing literally anything. Um, but yeah, I my approach to films is I, I am very much, my career is still very much taking shape right now. I have not been doing this super long. I, I officially started reviewing in 2018, so not a very long time at all. Um, and so I started out doing the small indie stuff, and then every now and then I would get a local film festival. And then once I had a good rapport with PR, then maybe I'd get to do some of the B-string mainstream um, whenever I took myself out of my first gig, um, because honestly, and truthfully, honestly, the, the growth in the environment was not good for me. I was not getting to do the work that I wanted to do. And it, it nearly uh, kind of drowned, uh, threw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, it almost uh, drowned my career at birth, just being in an unhappy situation. Um, but I've been very lucky that as I've grown, and kind of left to my own devices, uh, the first thing is I have to be interested. Um, I just took on a review for an upcoming shark movie. It is not going to change the world, but I fucking love shark movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're fun to write about. Um, my philosophy after emailing the editors and after having a remote interest in the film is I'm very lucky to work with a wide array of outlets. And to me, it's important to put the review in front of the right audience, like the shark movie, for example. Um, I have a handful of sites that I would even think to offer that review to because those are the people that are going to appreciate it. I'm not going to try to sell any uh, Criterion snob, and that's a cell phone. I also love Criterion collection films. <laughs> but I'm not going to go try and sell something like Three-Headed Shark Attack to that crowd. Right. And I would love writing about it for the right audience. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, I, for me, my career, it's kind of uh, just, I've just sort of been along for the ride. I, I, uh, I've worked really, really hard, but it's just kind of evolved and changed. Like, I, and I think that if I hadn't been open to kind of, well, let's try this out and see what happens. I would have missed out on so many different experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for instance, with Hallmarkies podcast, which is the most successful thing that I do, uh, it all started because I wanted to review Anne with an E on Netflix. And so I asked a friend if she wanted to do it. So we did like four Anna Green Gables episodes of Rachel's Reviews. And we, and then we reviewed Anne with an E and we did not like it at all. It wasn't that for us. And, <laughs> and so we kind of had a bad taste in our mouth. We're like, what can we do? Both realized that we both liked Hallmark movies and you know Christmas cheesy Christmas movies. It was Christmas in July. We did an episode. People really liked it. 
And so then we did another and another, and then finally spinned it off as its own thing. And it's kind of ended up taking over my life, (laughs) but I'm glad it has. Uh, And so I think that that's a big key to being a successful freelancer, as, as far as I can see, is that just allowing things to evolve and change and grow and be open for new opportunities that come your way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard. It's hard to do that. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in a niche or we love something so much we don't want to change, but got to do it. Yeah. And I mean, and not everything that I do, some of the stuff I do, I do just for my own. I just enjoy doing it. And I could work with friends who also enjoy doing it. Uh, Then other stuff I do just because it's part of being a homework podcaster. You got to, you got to cover certain stuff and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, that's fun. You find a way to make it fun too. And uh, it's all part of, I think any job you have things that you like more than other things. And, and, and that's, that's understandable, I think. Oh yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about our unpopular opinions. This is always a fun portion of this panel. <laughs> and uh, so for me, I thought of recently, I was not a big fan of Wish Dragon, the animated film. It was like, I focus on animation. I don't know. I just thought it was boring. I feel like I've seen that this like mixture of Aladdin and How to Train Your Dragon and Raya. And it just felt like so many other films I've seen so many times before that it was pretty. I liked it, but I'm like the only person in the world who on the, I guess on the positive side, liked Tom and Jerry and thought that it was fun and I enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed the physical comedy of it. And I liked the animation, the the way that it was kind of had a sort of a 2D look to it. I enjoyed it. I So most people would like Wish Dragon much better than Tom and Jerry, but I liked, I'm not, that's not me. And uh, so... <laughs> And I, I've always tell people, like, be very wary of any critic who always goes with the popular consensus or is always a contrarian. I think that either of those is very suspect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so, Joanna, what about you? What's an unpopular opinion that you had, that you've had? Oh, you know, I sit there. I, oh, okay. All right. I can. I'm on Twitter more than I should be. And I read all this stuff, this film Twitter stuff, and I have the best lines. Oh, man, I have stuff that I am just dying. And then I go, no, no, no. Hands down, don't do that. Step away from the Twitter. Step away (laughs) from the computer, right. It's just, I'm going to go back to what you were just saying. Anybody who likes everything, all the time or doesn't like everything all the time. I think you need to be true to yourself. And there are times where we'll go and post my review on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm like, hi, I'm the one who liked it. Hi, I know, but I did. And you have to, you have to just tune out a lot of stuff. and I think that's an unpopular opinion. I think people feel they need to be in the whole film Twitter conversation continuously. And 
I just read something the other day about the percentage of people who are on Twitter to begin with, and then the, the number of people who talk about them. It's like this big. Yep. And right. there's a big world out there. And so, you know, I have made it a big point when I go on social media, I'm following news outlets. And, you know, I have other interests. I have other things that I can be doing and that I want to be doing as well as being connected with my colleagues. I do feel it's very important, but maybe not as often as So can you think of one recently that that everybody else either loved and you didn't or that everybody else hated that you liked? Yeah, movie. Okay, well, we could talk about the movie that I referenced before, which was uh, um, the football movie from from Texas, Mm -hmm. which is called 12 Mighty Orphans. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's got like a suit on Rotten Tomatoes because, of course, Rotten Tomatoes is the all and end all, and everybody thinks, well, Rotten Tomatoes is is one big thing, but it isn't, and everybody should kind of know that. It's, It's important if you're looking for critics who you want to follow, who kind of sort of do what you like on a regular basis. <laughs> they may disappoint you once in a while, but anyway. Um, so the Rotten Tomatoes critical score is very low. The audience score is very high. Mm-hmm. And so, and I knew that was going to happen. I was watching this movie and I thought, it's too by the book. It's not creative. It's very plot. You know, you you know, go from step one to step two to step three. It's about you pretty much know what's going to happen before you even start the movie. There might be a surprise along the way, but people who are looking for great art are not going to like it. But there's room for things that aren't great art that maybe will touch an audience and. I think especially now, it's important that we stay in touch with our feelings, that we stay in touch with what's going on inside of us all, because we've all been through a lot, and some of us had it worse than others, but everybody's been touched, you know, the past couple of years, um, with some really rough and complicated things. And if you can watch a movie that inspires you, or makes you feel a little bit better, or that takes you out of your day-to-day for an hour and a half, and maybe teaches you a little something. There has to be room for that. Even in the hoity-folloity critical world, there has <laughs> to be a place where we can say, guys, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's a good solid movie you might like. I recently so felt that, that way about possible. about Dream Horse. I don't know if either of you got to see that, but I, I felt that I way. Remember. Yeah, I just felt like that was so comforting and just so heartwarming, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, so I, I totally get what you're saying with that. Uh, what about you, Kate? What's an unpopular opinion that you had? I think I know what you're going to say, but. <laughs> you don't know me. versus the machines review? Yeah. Are you coming for my Mitchell? I stand by it. I didn't like it. I think it's awesome, and I totally support you in it. I just, I just, yeah, I love the movie. So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. So, that's well, okay. So, to address that controversy, I think last time I checked, I was one of three critics out of all of them that didn't like 
the Mitchells versus the Machines, yeah. and it's quite simple. It was fine. I, I thought the film was, was fine. I thought it was fine. Um, my one criticism for everybody that commented on my review is it's like if you had read to the end and not come to talk to me based on the Rotten Tomatoes score, you would right. see all the things where I said, this is fine. This is fun for families. Um, I found, well, just two big complaints is that it's just very hard to make a movie about the internet because meme culture moves at the speed of light. And so you're trying to make a cutting edge meme film and you're using films that make me feel 100 years old. Um, and so it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's just hard to do. It's not the film's fault, it's just hard to do. Um, and then the second was some of the more, uh, and again, it goes to that meme some of those meme animation asides, you know, those quirky little animation mm -hmm. moments. I see what they're doing. I didn't like it. I found it distracting. And it's very interesting to be very deep in critic land and to live with someone who just decidedly is not. My, uh, my fiance ended his film development like in the late 90s. He likes cop comedies from the 90s. And then every now and then he'll, he'll emerge for something that's come out, but not often. And when I was screening the Mitchells versus the Machines, he would come in every now and then. And when he poked his head in and he's like, is this still going? It's like, exactly. It's still, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Write that down. It's still going. <laughs> I totally support you in that. I know what that's like. It is a hard experience. Uh, I mean, it's it's worthwhile, but I, I've, I've certainly been there. Of course, everybody knows with Shazam that I didn't like Shazam and everybody, the world freaked out. So I, I <laughs> you've ruined movies, thing. Rachel. What's that? <laughs> you've ruined movies. Yeah, I know. I pretty much have. <laughs> Across the spectrum, it's over. Now we know yeah. who to blame. So this is a game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's why I think it's interesting to hear other people's points of view. And I do wish that people, all three of us are on Rotten Tomatoes. I wish that people would understand about being a Rotten Tomatoes critic is that there's really not that big a difference between my four out of tens and my six out of tens. It's just like, do I lean positive or lean negative? And people mm -hmm. frequently say something I gave a just barely rotten on, maybe even a five, you know, I'm right on the edge on. And I, that I just was like, I don't think it's worth, you know, paying the, you know, going to out to a theater and, and, or something I think is just kind of bland, but like harmless or, you know, whatever it might be, they think you hated it. How dare you? <laughs> I like, no, oh, I didn't. Well, that's Sorry. So, right, so not... can I give you guys a little history? Sure. Go for it. Oh, dating myself. All right. So when I first started, every, I don't know, Thursday, I would get a phone call from my friend Larry at Variety. And Larry would say, Okay, this movie opened this week. Did you give it a positive, a negative, or a mixed review? Yeah. And invariably, I would say mixed. So then we go to the next movie, and we go through all the things, and what was your review? Positive, negative, or mixed? And this went on for a couple of years. One day, Larry calls up and he goes, I have news. What? They won't let us be mixed anymore. You have to be positive or negative. I was like, oh, no. That's just, <laughs> no. There are so few movies that I just 
am 100% on mm-hmm. in yeah. either direction, you know? Um, something can be God awful, but, and it's our job, we have to watch the whole thing. And all of a sudden, three quarters of the way through, there's going to be a performance. Who's that? Yep. Look at that. Yep. Or, you yep. know, what did they do with that camera? Or that's really interesting or whatever. Yeah. And then how many times have you absolutely felt 100% that a movie was perfect? And I mean perfect. Not, oh, this is really, really good. I'm talking perfect. Not too many. But the last one I can think of, of uh, the last one I can think of that I would say was, in my opinion, pretty close. It was uh, Spider Verse. You know, the Spider Verse uh, out. That movie blew me away. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I, as somebody who reviews Hallmark movies for a living, I totally get it that they, these are movies that most people would just completely dismiss and not even. Uh, out of the Hallmark bubble, at least, not even give uh, any chance to. But uh, if you actually watch some of them, you're like, oh, there's lots of good in here. Like, they may not be perfect, but there's lots to appreciate. And so, I don't know. It's and an there are interesting experience. a lot of good experience. actors who come out of that. A lot right. of good actors right. come out of those. Mm-hmm. The, the lack of nuance. And my number one frustration with Rotten Tomatoes is that there's fresh, there's rotten. And it's like, what about the tomato in the back of the fridge that's about to turn? Yeah. Like, where, where is that? Where is that rating? Because like you said, um, what makes a fresh or rotten film for me has a lot. To me, it's all about what I recommend it. And that's kind of the question. It's like, OK, when I call my mother tomorrow and say, oh, you know what? You should check this one out. Um, yeah. yeah, there's no nuance. And we're in such a fast paced reactionary culture where it's exactly like my Mitchell's versus the machines reviews. I don't even count that as a negative review. Not really. I had some things that irritated me that brought my score down. I was, I'm, I'm a cranky critic. And like, that's the thing is I, and not all critics might feel this way. I do not take my own opinion that seriously. I don't think that anybody else should take my opinion that seriously. I'm just telling you what I think. Right. Um, and I'm going to be putting a lot into it. And there isn't a lot of room for nuance in how we do criticism right now. The audience does not want nuance. They want to know, were you fresh or rotten? And how dare you not fall where I wanted you to? Um, yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because that, exactly like you described with that positive negative, that's something that people grab onto when they're reading it or listening. It's like nobody watches the, oh, it was fine review. It's either the worst movie ever, best of all time. And I don't know. I find it, I find it fascinating. Well, and also I find that a lot of times people don't actually want a review. They want their opinion parroted back to them to, to reinforce their view and uh, and so that's when they get upset twitter again (laughs) girl so when you were talking about twitter i did not have um you know and and i'm in my late i'm in my late 20s so like i should be on social media but i was not online until i started writing film reviews i very uh begrudgingly made a twitter and an instagram because I understood that that's how you market yourself. I don't like to get online. <laughs> so 
Uh, let's talk about something that we're proud of that we did that we think was really well written or really well done. And uh, uh, one of my favorites was recently on my YouTube channel uh, because of all the copyright annoyances. I <laughs> I wanted to review Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, but I knew that it would be a problem with all of the music because you can't talk about that, those movies without talking about the music. That's just like inherent. And so what I decided to do was I just decided that I was going to sing the songs. <laughs> Acapella. Oh, I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but I think I have an adequate voice and uh, it was definitely a little bit of a risk, but I think it turned out really fun. And uh, I thought it was a pretty creative solution to, to the problem. And I, I just really enjoyed both of those reviews. I they were well-written and well-done and uh, are well, well-spoken. And uh, I just was proud of myself for, you know, for putting my singing out there to the world. <laughs> for having fun with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even wore a red wig for, uh, for Ariel. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was one that I thought of that I don't think I've mentioned on this show. Uh, but what about you, Joanna? What's something that you've written that you're, you're proud of that you really like? There's some of them I feel okay. They're okay. Uh -huh. um, I really tried. I, I, I'm going to answer you a little differently. If that's okay. Sure, please. Because sure, I knew please. you wanted to ask this question and I was thinking, well, you know, talk about my Nomadland review, which I was, I was intimidated writing about that movie. I thought it was so beautiful and maybe it wasn't 100%, but it was 99 to me. And um, I wanted to give it an appropriate review. And so I just sweat bullets over that thing, even if it was a movie minute. Um, it took me days and I, I was pretty happy with the result. But, and I'm only going to say what I'm going to say now because I hope that people who are listening can learn something from um, I've hung in there. And, you know, there are a lot of times where all of us have faced things where we could have just said, you know what, I, I just can't. I never did that. Um, I just kept going. And I found ways to make things work. I found ways to get around people who were saying no or other things. Um, and I'm still here. And I guess that's what I'm most proud of. I think that's amazing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clapping for your singing too, so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what about you, Caitlin? Do you have a review that you really felt like Really, I'm really proud of that one. Um, so honestly, what, I, uh, what I'm most proud of in terms of my writing isn't my reviews so much as my essays and features. Um, that was another big part of kind of my break into freelancing to get to do the kind of writing that I wanted to do so that I wasn't stuck in just the straight reviews. Um, one of my favorite pieces on film, because I could go down a whole other rabbit hole because I write about a lot of other things, my favorite piece on film was my discussion of the body divine in St. Maud. Um, whenever I was a liberal arts queen in college, I 
got three majors, minors. Um, I wasn't allowed to declare any majors and minors. So they said, call it an academic focus and put it on your resume. Um, was religious studies. And I actually did my thesis on the sexual body um, connected to early American spiritual devotion. And so when I was watching St. Maud, my little, you know, thesis ears were tingling and I was like, oh man, you know, this is a reference to this Renaissance art. This is a reference to this. Um, there was a saint that was honestly a little bit kinky. And, you know, and there, there were all of these very interesting intersections of history and art and sex and the stuff that I just love. And so in getting to write about St. Maud, I got to write this for Daily Dead. I sent them this pitch and I said, it's sex saints and rock and roll. What do you think? And I finally reached a point with Daily Dead where they say, honey, do it. And I did. Uh, that was a very long piece. And I'm most proud of it because it's the culmination of my academic background and everything that I have wanted and fought for in my film work is the opportunity to do stuff like that. Well, I think that's great. That sounds very interesting to me. Uh, well, thank you both so much, ladies, for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. And I think this was a great discussion. And uh, so, Joanna, how can people find you and your content? Okay. So, it's themovieminute.com. I hope you will visit often. Um, but I am on our beloved Twitter. And I am on our beloved Facebook. And even Instagram. Although I usually just put pictures of flowers and stuff on there. <laughs> but it's Joanna Langfield on both of them. And I hope, I, I now have two new friends. And I hope, you know... Whoever would like to join us, we'll do that, and we can all talk online. Yes, please. Kaylin, yeah. how about you? I'm all over the damn internet. Um, <laughs> uh, the the most concentrated place to find my work is on our uh, Overlord Twitter. That's at Kate Does, at C-A-I-T Does. And what Kate does is she writes about film. She writes a little bit about comic books now. Um, she shares very controversial Mitchell's versus the machine's opinions. Uh, I just, I dare somebody to ask me about it after this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, tw Twitter is the spot to find me. Uh, don't look for my Instagram. I mean, do, but don't. <laughs> I'm going there right now. <laughs> you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And also, check out the hallmarkies podcast we have weekly interviews every monday and our regular coverage and our tv coverage so it's a lot of fun and uh please take a look at that and uh thanks so much again ladies i really appreciate it please uh if you're listening on itunes please give this uh please give your ratings and reviews really appreciate that and if you are watching on youtube please give this a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel we appreciate that so much and uh and check out the patron group and our merch store we appreciate that so much and thanks so much everybody and we'll talk we'll talk again next month bye everyone thank you bye